the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Do you watch the elections last night? Do you care? I don't know. I'm trying to make a little conversation with you at this point in time. Oil back under 30 bucks a barrel. Um, there's some fairness to that. Uh, I'm with that as having a cause on the stock market. It seems to be that the tail that wags the dog, right, this, so far this year. Market expects more volatility to come. So January is kind of not the best. Would I go to cash? No. Would I raise some cash? Maybe a little. Would I become a little bit more defensive? Yes, but that's what I talked about last year, so it's a little late in the cycle now. Dow opens down 200 plus. ExxonMobil profit tumbles 58%. But, in the good news for ExxonMobil, if there is some good news in there, is that people thought it was going to be worse. They actually did better than expected. And they seem coiled ready to actually have a pretty good move. And they've been kind of hanging in there. The dividend yield, obviously a big part of that at almost 3.5%. Alphabet has overtaken Apple the market cap value for now. EBS bank shares plunge as rich investors withdraw money. These are some of the headlines that we're dealing with. More volatility. This may be the start of the new normal for the first half of the year, is the thought. There's something that's called the fear index. It tends to move in the opposite direction of the market in the short term. So it tends to spike higher as the market goes lower. It tends to drift lower as the market grinds higher. So talking about the news, Alphabet, a.k.a. Google, um, had a pretty big sigh of relief yesterday. A pretty good quarter, all things considered. The stock market before that, though, showed a, some strength, holding its line for the most part despite a 6% drop in oil prices, but not so much today. 
oil again goes below 30 and the market kind of like craters with it. I like these kind of patterns because it shakes out a lot of the weak investors. Um, Facebook and Alphabet are growing much more strongly these days than Apple. So there's going to be some people that give up on shares of Apple. And Facebook and Alphabet are doing it in tough economic environment. How would they be doing in a better economic environment? Majority of companies were still in earnings season. Reporting since yesterday's close have, of course, topped analyst expectations, including Pfizer, ExxonMobil, UPS, Mattel, Michael Kors, Emerson, and Dow Chemical. 20 S&P 500 companies have reported results since yesterday's close. 15 of them topped expectations. Yet only 10 of them actually reported a year-over-year increase in earnings per share. So that's where we're in an earnings recession. We're in an earnings declining environment. A lot of political chatter today. Ted Cruz beating out Donald Trump and Marco Rubio. On the Republican side, and Hillary Clinton narrowly beating Bernie Sanders on the Democrat side. The political scene overall looks like it could uh, be just a huge cloud of dust at this point in time. And maybe the stock market will play into that in the coming weeks until we get to Super Tuesday. The only economic data of note out today is the auto and truck sales for January. Kansas City Fed President George who is a voter this year and one of the more hawkish committee members. He's going to be speaking today at about 10 o'clock Pacific time. So we'll be seeing if they see inflation or if he wants raised interest rates for whatever reason. So it's something we'll be paying a lot of attention to. Google has to be the top story of the day. Shares of Alphabet opened nearly 3% higher today. Its market cap is bigger than Apple's. It's pretty huge. Um, $529 billion. So Microsoft's at $425 billion. Facebook at $326 billion. ExxonMobil, $310 billion. Those are the world's five biggest companies. So Google was being guided by Eric Schmidt, who would hand control back to counter uh, co-founder Larry Page the following year. Um, last time that Google was bigger than Apple was... February 2010, when Eric Schmidt was in charge. Both companies were worth well under $200 billion at that point. Apple had not yet released its iPad. The newest iPhone on the market was the 3GS, and the Mac was the company's biggest product line, counting for about a third of the revenue. Steve Jobs was still alive and well. So Google and Apple flip-flopped since then. And again, that goes back to 2010. So kind of duking it out. Hard to believe that Google was the more valuable company from the time of its IPO in 2004 to 2008. iPhone madness began. So history gives you some perspective, and some of it's like pretty impressive. Like in the last 10 years, we've now seen you know Google and Apple flip flop two times, and Apple's main problem is its reliance on the iPhone, which now accounts for two thirds of their revenue. It's a massive business. So Google, for their part, they brought in a CFO a couple of years ago who, for her part, said, I'm going to be a lot more transparent. You know that we got these projects of putting fiber in the ground and putting Internet balloons in the sky and 
trying to solve life so people can live forever or longer. Uh, and Wall Street, we like those moonshots, but we want to see, like, how much are you losing in those? How much profit are you giving away from the search business to fund those dreams? Switching gears to Exxon. Exxon Mobil reported a steep drop in oil, in, obviously in the low oil prices, hurting the, you know, hurting them. They still earned money. Revenue was $59 billion. Last year they made $87 billion, $87 billion down to $59 billion. Do you feel bad for them? I saw gas at two thirty-five. I was out in Boone's Boondocks the other day and two thirty-five. Like, whoa. So Exxon reported fourth quarter uh, downstream revenue of about four hundred thirty-five million. The problem with Exxon and Chevron, when oil gets hit, they get hit hard because not only do they take it out of the ground, but they refine it and they also sell it in the gasoline and other businesses. If you look across the board. There's been the focus of investors, you know, how much are they cutting spending? What are you going to do to maintain strength on your balance sheet, and where is the production going? Um, so there's some questions with Facebook. Oh, I'm with, sorry, with ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil's always a hotly debated stock, obviously, because it's an oil play. They're declining to share U.S. tax information, a move that, you know, people want to see transparency. I just talked about that with uh, Google. Exxon's not as sharing, shall we say. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Thanks for listening to the show. As you can tell, it's flu season. I got a little something going on in my throat, but uh, no fever, no, no vomiting, nothing like that. I'm one of those guys when I do vomit, I'm the loud guy. Like I really like getting it out of my system. Just so you know. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. <clears throat> Oil below $30 a barrel again. Uh, big story. It's the story of the day. The 10-year treasury sinks to below 2%. And that's telling you there's a lot of fear in the markets. Which is typically a good thing. Because Warren Buffett once said... Be greedy when others are fearful, and be fearful when others are greedy. You know, people are fearful right now. Let's bring on CFP Chad Burton. Maybe he could give us a little more light on this. 
Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton. Hello, Mr. Burton. Hello, Mr. Black. We were talking during what we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about education and incomes and how they collide, uh, especially heading towards retirement. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, if we talk about it in terms of, you know, you have enough to retire. Okay. You know, you know you're on track. Um, what's an easy way to realize that if you have, you know, plenty of cash and you're basically just living off your Social Security and the dividends from your stocks? Yeah. And that's even more than enough. Even most of your dividends you're reinvesting. Yeah. You have more than you need. Good. Right. You're yeah. you're in great shape. You're spending what you want, and you know you're going to be leaving assets to kids. Mm. So then you got to think, start thinking about different things. Um, and it's really important to look at your overall family situation and, and do tax bracket management when it comes to your investing. So one of the things that you look at is, is I gave an example uh, on the show yesterday on the 1 o'clock show about, uh, you know, let's say grandma has a $200,000 IRA. She doesn't need it. She's taking minimum card distributions from it. That's kind of a nuisance. She's got a lot of extra cash on the sidelines, and she's not that high of a tax bracket. So she decides to convert the IRA to a Roth IRA. Right. Okay. She has to pay the taxes out of somewhere else, but her idea is she wants to leave it to her granddaughter. And uh, so, if she's 70 years old, and even if she gets like a 5% rate of return in 20 years or so when she passes, that's going to be over well over half a million dollars. Nice, nice grandmother. In a, in a Roth IRA, and in a Roth IRA, you don't have to take required minimum distributions, so it just compounds tax-free for for whoever you leave it to. It sounds like a Mitt Romney kind of deal. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, what's so great about that is that if you name the beneficiary the right way, when grandma dies, granddaughter can roll it into an inherited IRA, Roth IRA, an inherited Roth IRA. What does so, grandson do that was so wrong? Well, so, you know, just the only child. Okay, okay, um, okay, fair, fair. I could make up another story, like died in a bad car wreck, motorcycle, usually a motorcycle versus car. That's not funny. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you hear in the Bay Area all the time. You know, I had an eight-year-old cousin die in a motorcycle wreck. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. So. Anyways, moving on. So, so granddaughter and it's it's an inherited Roth IRA, and the the process for that they actually it, it's fairly simple. You have to work with people to make sure they know they know how to do this. But once granddaughter inherits it, she she has to pull out a little bit each year based on her life expectancy. But a thirty yeah. year old, that's a very small amount. She can pull out more if she wants to. So if she needs the money to go back to college, to buy her first house, she can pull lump sums out totally tax free. And make it last all throughout her retirement, and even the required minimum distributions are typically less than the growth rate. Normally, if you know if the market is does what it's done in the past, um, you can make them last multiple generations. So here's a story for you. Talk about multiple generations. Do you know who I'm related to? My aunt is. Your aunt, uh, uh, Shirley Temple. Black. Shirley, T- Shirley Temple. Temple Black. So her husband was an orphan. My uh, my dad was an orphan. My dad's sister was an orphan. So she, her, so, wait her, a the one so they got adopted into the family? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> he got adopted, her husband, Charles, got adopted by the richest guy in California. Basically, PG&E money. Was it Daddy Warbucks? It could have been Daddy Warbucks. Because <laughs> this sounds really familiar. That's who she ended up marrying, was orphan son of Daddy Warbucks. Oh. Daddy uh, PG&E in this case. My dad never got adopted. Talking about I was this close to be in the son of a wildly famous, wildly wealthy person, and I got my dad. <laughs> Sucks to be me, huh? I don't know where to go with that. Charitable remainder trust. <laughs> I know, I know. Charitable remainder trust. Oh, yeah, this is my favorite type of planning. Really? Absolutely. I love... What's your favorite charity? 
Um, gosh. Well, one of, one of my favorites I like um, for a global one is Heifer International. Okay. Um, for local, I love Sh- uh, Shriners Children's Hospital. They do amazing things. They do? The heifer is the Bill Gates one that you can give a cow to a someone and they'll actually get milk out of it, yeah. not just a cow. You buy them goats, chickens, and things like that. And so we used to give out, you know, and back in the... Oh, five years ago plus, you know, at the holiday time we'd give gift, gift baskets and to clients and, you know, Thanksgiving time, things like that. And we realized that this just doesn't, you know, big deal. People get, I get four or five of those in the holidays from yep. various people that I work with. No one ever gives Attorneys, CPAs, things like that. I'm not liked. So we decided to take that money plus times two and then just give it to Heifer on, and on behalf of our clients uh, each and every year, and it does a heck of a lot of good, and I think people appreciate it a lot Can more. you do it on behalf of Rob Black? Like, Yes. Just so I could get some charitable name going out there. Like, yeah. I'm all that in a bucket of chicken. Okay. Okay. So I got Let's do issues. the rest of the events. Just have people write the check directly to charity for the rest of the year. That'd be great. Let's do it. So the problem is people don't have checks anymore. <laughs> it's true. Oh, that's, <laughs> let's that's have true. them app it. I know people would get so concerned about doing stuff online, but uh, more of the fraud for money is on written checks that get washed. At CFP, Chad Burton, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Ron Black, talking all things financial. Apple's going to unveil a smaller iPhone in March. Smaller iPhone's going to effort to try to jumpstart sales. There's some people that want a smaller iPhone, kind of like the 5S, you know, that size. Um, but it doesn't feel exciting, does it? There'll be an iPad Air update, which... That doesn't feel exciting. There'll be updates to its Apple Watch, which we'll see. I think I don't want to say we got fooled on the first one, but the first one didn't exactly blow the door off the hinges. So these are some of the things that we're looking at. Pfizer's earnings top estimates. Pfizer fabricates pharmaceuticals. Um, They reported fourth quarter earnings at top expectations, powered by strong sales of several of the key drugs that they have. But the company did issue forecasts that's weaker than expected. Pfizer shares sit about almost $30. They had income of about $613 million. I remember when I used to think that was a lot of money. And then you see companies like Apple report $18 billion quarters, and you're like, whoa. Which in the 90s and the early 2000s, pharmaceutical companies, they did have the strength. And like you'd go, whoa, when you saw their numbers. Um... Prevnar 13, a vaccine used to prevent pneumonia. Ibrance, a prescription medication for postmenopausal women with metastatic breast cancer. These are some of the big revenue winners for Pfizer's. Um, they did lose some exclusivity, and some generic competition came in for companies, uh, drugs like Celebrex. Something that's used to treat arthritis. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black show.com that's robblackshow.com when I lose control and the day was over you blame it on me been wandering the rain for days how you felt me strip your mind leave behind you
Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Brian Patrick O'Hara, Chief Market Analyst for Briefing.com. Patrick, what's the most important thing that you're looking at right now in these markets? Earnings. Um, and I okay. say that because I'm a fundamental analyst and I'm watching what's going on, um, uh, not only with the earnings that are being reported, but with the guidance that's coming out of this reporting period. And, uh, and in uh, my estimation, neither of those things is uh, very good or very supportive for the equity market right now. I heard a phrase that isn't used often, an earnings recession. Do you feel that we're in an earnings recession or starting one? Um, I do. I think, uh, you know, we've seen two straight quarters now of, uh, of earnings declining, and we're looking at a uh, the first quarter estimate right now, according to S&P Capital IQ, calls for a, a 4.6% decline in uh, earnings per share growth for the S&P 500. So that would be the third straight quarter of, uh, of negative earnings growth. So, um, you know, so, yeah, I think you could qualify it as an earnings recession, but at you know, really what you're looking at, though, is just a period of where, uh, even if you don't accept that view of things, uh, clearly earnings are not good right now, and the trajectory for earnings is, is not good right now. And, and companies are, are struggling with a lack of pricing power. They're uh, struggling with a lack of uh, lackluster demand, um, and uh, they continue to struggle, uh, the U.S. multinationals anyway, with the uh, continued strong nature of the U.S. dollar, which is making things difficult for them. You've warned people, and I'm not going to say warned. You've talked about being cautious uh, for the better part of about 12 to 15 months, in my estimation. Mm-hmm. I got an email yesterday from a woman who's 75 plus years old, and she goes, "Do I go to cash?" I'm like, "Ooh, <laughs> no. Is this a little bit late? Should she have been tinkering with utilities and tinkering with, you know, being more defensive, raising a little cash?" Um, what do you do now if you're, you know, in the snapshot of the market in real time versus? what wise investors should have heard 12 to 15 months ago. Yeah. Well, you know, I think right now um, that, you know, if you look at your holdings and if you're still sitting on some positions that have made some, you know, really nice gains in spite of, you know, this pullback we've seen here, I don't think it's unreasonable to start scaling back a little bit on some of those real big winners. Um, uh, but if you, of course, have that longer-term orientation, perhaps what you do is you rotate into some of those really beaten-down areas uh, that have, um, you know, arguably some pretty good upside potential over the long term, meaning the next, say, five-plus years. Um, so that naturally leads you to areas like energy, uh, materials, um, some of the retailers, of course, uh, uh, some of the transportation companies. So it, it really, you know, uh, boils down, I think, obviously, to what one's risk tolerance is, what their time horizon is, and I think, uh, you know, where they are in terms of uh, of their cash needs. So obviously this 75-year-old woman has much uh, different needs uh, than, say, a 25-year-old who uh, is, you know, looking to start planning for retirement here. So uh, it's, it's going to be a hard call because it's such an individual case of things here. But in a broad view of things, though, I can say from my vantage point, I'm not really liking the fundamental outlook at this point in time, and I'm not convinced yet that the tide has turned there 
for uh, fundamentals to start improving. Uh, I'll come around to that viewpoint when I start seeing more sustainable, uh, positive uh, data points in the economic releases and, and when I see a convincing turn in the earnings estimate trend, which is uh, still in a state of decline right now. Today we saw oil crash beneath $30 a barrel. Is that a big story to you? If so, why? No, I I think the – well, I think the bigger story will be if you get oil crashing below $26 per barrel or so, which is, I believe, what the most recent low is. So I think what we're in here now is we had such a strong move off of that low, I think it was on January 20th or so, um, in oil prices that was – driven purely by headline speculation, right? You certainly didn't get anything helpful uh, with respect to inventory data in the past week, uh, but the, the, the mere idea that OPEC and non-OPEC states might be open to the possibility of, of working out some type of production cut agreement was enough to jumpstart a, a really strong rally off of, uh, you know, what was probably a short-term oversold condition. But, of course, you see the strongest rallies occur in bear markets, and oil is most certainly in a bear market right now. So I think what you're seeing unfold right now is the reality that you know a potential production cut agreement is not going to be not going to happen easily here, and uh, and you're seeing just a I think a normal correction within this uh, lower trading band that oil is now um, uh, working its way through. It's probably a little too early to get a year-end prediction from you, but. How about maybe a six-month prediction? I personally see different sectors kind of correcting, different stocks kind of correcting. Some of them aren't. Some of them are being stubborn and hanging in there. Uh, But it feels like we're in a correction where it's kind of rotating around here and there, and maybe we'll settle down sometime between one and six months. But, again, that's just very off the cuff. What do you see? Yeah, well, what, do you think? what we're seeing unfold here in the early part of the year is the outperformance of the relative strength uh, of the counter-cyclical sectors, um, that is, those sectors that tend to hold up better in, in periods of economic um, downturns or certainly just in volatile periods. You know, that'd be the telecom services sector, the utility sector. Both of those sectors are up more than 5% here uh, to start the year. Consumer staples are down, to, you know, a little less than 1%. Um, healthcare is, is one that's interesting because it's certainly in that countercyclical group, but it's actually underperforming the market here is uh, one of the key components of that group. The biotech stocks have certainly had some difficulties uh, as the market is starting to adjust to this idea that they're not, it's not willing to pay for, for growth at any price anymore, uh, given what's going on in the broader economy and the fact that earnings estimates are, are, are still you know, in a state of decline here, so it's being a little bit more discerning about what it's willing to pay up for. And we've seen that in spades with respect to the responses to the earnings reports from the likes of Facebook and Under Armour and, and now Alphabet. Um, when companies put up some truly strong growth, um, there's clearly a lot of demand for those uh, stocks because I think it also uh, shows just how desperate this market is to find some real good growth stories in this uh, current environment. So, um, But really, it, it, it also speaks to the idea that I think through the first six months of the year here, certainly, um, you will have a, quote, stock picker's market here. I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of delineation between uh, what companies, uh, institutional investors really want to own at this juncture, uh, as opposed to just going in with a, you know, an indexing type strategy or, and buying a you know, basket or an entire sector. Um, so, 
Um, so I think this first six months here, we're going to have a lot of volatility, um, and I think it's going to be a tough road here for the equity market because, as I noted earlier, the uh, trends in the economic data and the earnings estimates just really are not supportive yet to jumping in uh, with a full head of steam here to buy in this dip. You mentioned indexing may not be the strategy to employ for the first six months of the year, but if you're still looking out 20, 30 years until retirement, 10, 20, 30 years until retirement, would you be indexing or would you be stock picking? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to argue with with the data, right? I think it shows that indexing has 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 done you just fine, you know, over that type of time horizon. So, uh, so no, I'm not disavowing, you know, the uh, index strategy here for from a longer term vantage point. I just think that, you know, in you get these periods every now and then. Uh, they can last a year. They can last six months. It just depends. But I think right here in early uh, 2016, we're starting to see that uh, it could be a a more challenging year to outperform with an index strategy than it would be otherwise with more of a, a stock picking strategy. Anything else that you're working on, Mr. O'Hare, that you think is important to bring up? Um, give us a little insight on uh, anything? Yeah, you know, one thing I'm going to be tackling uh, in my big picture column this week is the idea that um, uh, this is not March 2009, uh, and that's not a good thing, right? Um, and I tease that. With, given that uh, in March 2009, obviously, things were, were really falling apart. And uh, in the market, with the Fed action, uh, extraordinary action in March 2009, the market seemingly turned on a dime and didn't look back, you know, over the next five, six years. Um, but I think the, the, the problematic point today with this not being March 2009 is that in March 2009, you had uh, a much lower earnings multiple, uh, that was certainly much more attractive for stepping in and buying stocks over the longer term. Um, and you had a number of uh, other items here that supported that buying interest, and one of which was this notion, I think, that uh, the market still thought that the Fed, you know, was the savior. You know, it could come in with some extraordinary policies, which they did, to help turn the tide of sentiment, which it did. Uh, but now we're at a point where uh, I don't think the market has as much faith in the Fed as it once did, uh, and that's going to be an issue here uh, in terms of trying to get this market jump-started in the absence of any uh, real strong earnings growth, and given that P.E. multiples are still uh, not that attractive right now. Do you think the Fed might have quantitative easing four up their sleeve if need be? Well, you know, they, they've said that, look, they'll, they'll still entertain all – options at their disposal here. But I think the bigger point is that, so if they come out with QE4, uh, is the market really going to be all that jazzed up by that, knowing that QE1, QE2, and QE3 didn't essentially uh, help the U.S. economy uh, reach the promised land of escape velocity? I don't think so. I, I think you need to see, uh, you, know, you might get a short-term pop on something like that, but I think ultimately this market is starved for real growth, uh, quality earnings growth, uh, and until it gets that, I think it's going to be very suspicious okay. of any actions on the Fed to try and accommodate us even further. Chief Market Analyst for Briefing.com. He's genius. It is Patrick O'Hare. You can read his columns. I read his columns at Briefing.com.
to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. We could talk about Google. We could talk about tech giants being uh, kind of like stock leaders around the world. Yahoo's going to have some issues today as they report. Look for a massive layoff there. Probably 10 plus percent more or more of their staff. Some stocks that you want to look at right now, if you were to look at stocks, what would you want them to look like? You'd probably want their P.E. to be, you know, not historically high. Maybe. Companies like Alphabet, who's got just a ton of cash. They're sitting on $70 billion of cash. Alphabet also has, you know... Some positives. They've got a billion plus users on Gmail, on Search, on Android, on Maps, on Chrome, on YouTube, and Google Play. So they're not quite a poor man's Facebook. They're not quite, uh, you know, a poor man's Apple. It's tough to say, you know, how would you categorize them? Apple releasing a cheaper phone in January, in, I'm sorry, in March, likely is aimed at competing with Google, because Google's operating system goes on cheaper phones. Amgen's another growth star from the 1990s. Uh, they've got tons of cash. That's something that I think I'm trying to get at here, is you want a war chest at this point in time. If you're worried about the price of oil, if you're worried about the stock market, if you're worried about you know, what company should you invest in. 30 plus billion dollars Amgen, big bio, big profitable biotech company. What else would I be looking at? Maybe like a Berkshire Hathaway, B shares. Um, Warren Buffett seems to be throwing around cash on a pretty regular basis. He likes cash flow generating businesses. It's one of the reasons why he has so much cash. He probably has over 40 billion dollars in cash right now that you know, he could use for acquisitions or bumping up dividends or just hanging out. Company I love to hate is Best Buy. Back in the 90s and early 2000s, Best Buy was rocking and rolling when consumer gadgets just had a kind of a a, a a renaissance, so to speak. You know, we went from horrible little devices like PDAs to smartphones, and we were fascinated with the trip all along. But Best Buy has a lot of cash. Um. I know a lot of people who are going out to buy TVs for the Super Bowl. TVs, though, have that 10-year cycle, it feels like, of when people upgrade. So Best Buy cut costs by a total of $1 billion over 2013 and 2014. Pulled out of China. Tried to conserve their cash. Um, And thus, they have a lot for a retailer at this point in time. You know, will they do more buybacks? Will they do more dividends? Will they... uh, invest in technology. Those are all pretty positive things. Cisco Systems. Ton of cash. I recently purchased some shares of Cisco. Company remains highly profitable. 
sales growth has been tepid, but they got a ton of cash and they're a dividend play. Um, they're kind of old school networking, which is trying to get into more cloud computing. So um, I'm not looking for sexy right now. I'm looking for tons of cash, low valuation, comfortable with prospects. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Facebook is another company that has a ton of cash. Despite a flubbed initial stock offering in 2012, which saw the shares soar above 40, only to crash below 20, only to roar to 100. Stock has surged for three straight years now. Cash buildup is a source of comfort for investors because Facebook continues to spend heavily on ideas that it believes will keep users coming back. So WhatsApp is a good example of a company that they spent a lot of cash on, that they've, they've nurtured nicely. Instagram, they spend a lot of cash on, they're nurturing slowly. Kind of like what I'm seeing from the boys there. Medtronic's another name. It's a medical device maker. Um, even though they did a big $50 billion acquisition to Covidian, they've got a lot of hospital care products. They've got a lot of heart valves, defibrillators, insulin pumps, stents, spinal fixation devices. They're partnering closer with hospitals now. Balance sheet has about $18 billion in cash. You know, cash cushions, so to speak, are comfortable when you need them. Michael Kors, they make expensive purses. They beat expectations by a lot. Revenue came in above forecasts. Mattel, they beat estimates by six cents a share. Revenue came in above. Mattel's bottom line was helped by its first quarterly sales increase in more than two years. Hot Wheels and Barbie doing okay. Twitter was downgraded to sell from hold over at Stifle. Stifle which has said Twitter has never developed a sustainable business model and may never achieve those goals. That's pretty harsh. Tell us how you really feel. Fitbit got an outperform rating. They look like they're well positioned in the market and will grow rapidly in the future, but I'd be cautious. Um, I'd find some users who, who have the device after three or four months or five months and see if they're still using the device. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.